ask you to pull that insert out of the bulletin, and you're going to find on one side of it the, uh, the sermon outline with some places to fill in the blanks as we go through the message this morning. Uh, at the end of the, the message this morning, we're going to have a couple of announcements by two of our shepherds, and then a closing song, and then one of our shepherds is going to close us out in prayer. But at the beginning, that's the end, at the beginning, I want to recap what we talked about last week. And we talked about our mission statement. And as you know, the three dots are really important in helping us to have uh, a really clear identity and, and vision of the mission that we believe that God has given this church in this city this day with this group of people. And as you know, the three dots represent, you can say it with me, love God, love people, change the world. Let's say it again, but this time let's do it like it's our mission statement, all right? Let's do it that way. Love God, love people, change the world. And as we talked last week, that mission has really not gone away, has it? In fact, there is, and I'm going to be talking about that in in some detail uh, this morning, but one of the things that we saw last week is that God is actively uh, pursuing people in the world. And as we saw last week, that there are three components to the set of circumstances that makes the gospel powerful in the world. The first is God is using His people. He's using people like you and me, and He is using a message, which we call the gospel, and He is using His Spirit, who is active in the world, helping people in their hearts and in their minds to understand that gospel and to understand life and, and, and to make a decision in which they give their lives to God and they become a member of His family and they enter the kingdom of God. This morning, I want to call our attention to the fact that since the time of Jesus, the, the world can be divided into three phases. And those three phases are these, pre-Christian, Christendom, and post-Christian. The world that we talked about last week, where in the book of Acts, the church is going into the world, uh, the church becomes a reality. The church becomes a force in the world in a, in a reality that could be called pre-Christian. The Christian scriptures that follow the Gospels, primarily Acts, tells the story of how the early disciples of Jesus took the gospel of Jesus throughout the known world at a time when no one had heard about Jesus. They made Christ and the gospel known. They called all people into discipleship. They went into all of these different cities and all of these different countries and they planted churches. And it did not take long for the Christian faith to spread throughout the known world at that time. That was the pre-Christian world. That is, the gospel was being taken into the world when Christ was not known. Now for a millennium in the Western world, culture was so influenced by biblical teaching that it could be rightly understood as Christendom. For centuries and centuries, most of the institutions outside of the church. All of these institutions identified as Christians. And Christianity was dominant and it influenced the way that people lived, even if they did not consider themselves to be Christian or a disciple of Jesus. So pre-Christian and then Christendom and now post-Christian. 
For the last couple of decades in North America, we have seen a culture shift to post-Christian. For the first time in a very, very long time, there are less people identifying themselves as disciples, as Christian, than there are those that are identifying themselves as having no religious affiliation. The church finds itself in a culture somewhat similar to the first century church in the pre-Christian world. The post-Christian world is a new reality for churches. Today, we cannot assume that people know anything at all about Christ or Christianity. Today, we cannot assume that if they do know anything at all about Christ or Christianity, that that is positive knowledge, that it's had a a, a positive effect on their life. It is possible today to encounter people who do not have a clue, an inkling, a hint of what the gospel is all about, just like it was in the pre-Christian world. Which means that every church in Western culture is now a missionary church. We are a missionary church. Which means that there is a a renewing of the sense of embracing and understanding God's mission for the church. How essential that is and how essential it is to, to, to acknowledge that there is a mission that we must be serious about if we are going to make any inroads or any, have any effect or influence in the culture around us. And so I want to give you a definition. You know, if a church that embraces the mission of God is going to be a missional church. And I would define it this way. A missional church is made up of disciples who are outwardly focused, that is, going out into the world, toward their post-Christian culture, explaining the gospel of Jesus very, very simply, while at the same time demonstrating it graciously. As we saw last week, when the church went out from Jerusalem and and went into the surrounding areas and then into Antioch, into the surrounding world, they did it not only with a message on their lips, but they did it by demonstrating the message on their lips by the lives that they lived. There was a merging of life and message. And the same thing has to happen today. And so I want to spend just a couple of minutes this morning talking about how we live missionally in this city. Number one, we love San Antonio. We love San Antonio. Is it not true that Jesus teaches us to love our neighbors? We love our neighbors. Loving our neighbor is directly connected to loving God. When Jesus is asked, what is the most important of all of the commandments, 613 there were, what is the most important? Can you boil it down for us? And Jesus says, I certainly can. Glad you asked. It is to love God. He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. It's the Shema, the hero Israel. It's to love God with all your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he doesn't stop there. He says, and a second is like it. A second is like loving God, and that is loving your neighbor as yourself. In Matthew chapter 5, he calls us to be peacemakers. 
In Luke chapter 10, in defining who our neighbors are, he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. We go into the city as Good Samaritans, which means that we are city positive. And, and we show it by loving the community around us. Around us. That's, that doesn't mean that we approve of everything. What it means is that we go into the community with the love of God that has been shown to us, and we talk about the gospel of love that comes to us through Christ Jesus. We become known for loving people and not looking down on them morally and spiritually. We do not use the language of us and them. We become known for working in this city and with its citizens to create flourishing and a sense of God's shalom. That people get an idea of what's coming down the road when the world is full of the knowledge of God and the glory of God as the waters fill the oceans. We begin by just loving the city and saying, God loves the people in this city and so do we. We want to be known for being for the city and not against it. Number two, demonstrate the gospel in relationships. When someone visits our church, they should see people who physically reflect the community around us. They should see all kinds of people that, that reflect the diversity of our community but relationally reflect the kingdom of God. They should be able to come in and say, you know, this church is made up of all kinds of people. It's just not one kind of people, but it's all kinds of people. All the people of this community, they are a part of this church family, but the thing that's very different is they're not acting like they are out in the city. They're acting like they belong to the kingdom of God, and that love is pervasive in every relationship. They can hear it in our message. They can see it in our lives. In 1 John chapter 3, John says, Let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in what? Truth. Number three, let's consider our language. Now again, we're going to be talking more about this in, in the coming months and throughout the year. But always assume that you're going to be overheard. Always assume that wherever you are, you're going to be overheard. That whether or not you're at the church building or you're away from the church building, that you are going to be overheard. This also means, when we talk about considering our language, how we need to watch and avoid that insider language that we sometimes use that makes people who are not yet insiders or yet feel like they are you know, acquainted with the ways that we have talked about church and relationships and the gospel traditionally, that in the way that we talk about those things, that there's clear understanding. It doesn't force people to, to maybe take a step back and not feel connected to us. It could be in the way that we pray. It could be in the way that we talk about the gospel. It can also be in the way that we joke around sometimes, the disdainful jokes that poke fun at people politically and ethnically and religiously. This can be extremely dismissive. We need to watch our language. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18. The words of the reckless. Next slide, please. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise bring healing. One of the biggest challenges for every disciple of Jesus is to consider the impact of their words on the people around them. Learning to speak the truth and to speak it graciously. Number four, let's listen to the people around us. You know, there, when I was in uh, college, there were a couple of preaching classes 
that, uh, that you had to attend. Uh, and they were, they were okay. There, some were better than others. But I remember this one story that was told about a preacher that got up, uh, and I'm not sure if it's a preacher story or not, but it just sounds true. A guy gets up, a preacher gets up one Sunday morning, and he goes, he stands before the church, and he says, Jesus is the answer. Do you believe this? And everybody said, Amen. And then he said, I said, Jesus is the answer. Do you believe this? And they said, Amen. A third time, he says, Jesus is the answer. Do you believe this? And all the church said, Amen. And he goes, but what's the question? Jesus is the answer. But we need to frame it in a way that answers the question that people have on their hearts. In listening to the people around us and, and, and asking about their life and, and just listening to the things that are on their heart, we begin to learn about their fears and their nightmares, their concerns, where they have pain, the questions, the confusion, the things that they have anxiety about. It is only through listening to the people around us intently that we discover the questions through which we relate how Jesus Christ is the only answer by which their story is going to have a happy ending. Do we believe that? Number five, demonstrate discipleship everywhere. Now, one of the things that we need to, to think about ourselves as a church in the community is that we are a contrast community in the community at large. Whether we are in this building or whether we're outside of church gatherings, we are a contrast community. When the gospel is embodied, it illustrates to the culture what life, that is human life, is supposed to look like. That how people are to relate to each other and how radically different the community of faith is in regard to the big three values in our culture, which are sex, money, and power. When it comes to sex, disciples of Jesus avoid a life that idolizes sex, as we find in a very secular culture, but at the same time, it avoids the traditional society's fears in favor of a biblical view of sex. The same is true with money. We demonstrate a radical generosity when it comes to the resources that we have been blessed with by God, and we promote ways of using that money that bless people the way that it has blessed us from the hand of God. And then the last thing is power. We believe that the last shall be first, and the greatest is going to be a servant of all. We believe that the meek shall inherit the earth. We demonstrate this kind of discipleship, this life that emulates the life of Jesus everywhere we go in front of the eyes of every person. And then the last is this, we go public. We want to be famous in San Antonio for being the people who enter into all the facets of life in the city of San Antonio, and we just make a difference. We make a difference in the way that we relate to people. 
Uh, we make a difference in the way that we face and, and address the issues of living a human life in the world today in this particular place. We make a difference in the way that we serve others, the way that we encourage others, the way that we give to others, the way that we make life better and different for other people. We, we invite people into this same kind of life. And over the coming months, we're going to talk about how we can share our faith, not just in the way that we live, but how we can share it with the very words of the gospel in a way that is, that is, that is connected to the fears that people have and the questions that they have, and in a language that helps them to understand that God is for them. I want us to close this portion of the sermon out in prayer right now and invite a couple of the shepherds to come up onto the stage to, to make a couple of announcements that have been made over the, the last couple of months by our leaders, by our elders, and then we're going to have one more song, and then one of our shepherds will close us out. That's join our hearts and bow our heads.